please give a big live spring welcome to Pastor Wayne and Cindy Ferris. Well, good morning, Life Spring. Can I tell you something? Those are three words I have been dying to say for an awful long time. Um, it is just so exciting to be back here with you. And I, and I just can't tell you enough how much we miss you, how much we think of you often, are praying for you often. I think that everybody in Nine Mile Falls knows you by name. We tell your stories all of the time. Um, and we always make you sound a little better than you are anyway, by the way. So congratulations killing that bear last week, Pastor Randy. That was a really great story. I told that one. Um, uh, no, we're just excited to be here. Um, we are really excited about the series that you've been in this whole summer, right? Um, and I just, I, I just feel like we're going to flow right into that, the whole thing about this is church, and then this last couple weeks walking through going you know, being the church outside. But before we do that, I do want to give you an update. We are so thankful for your support, for your prayers and encouragement. So I did want to tell you where we're at in planning the church. I'm so excited about LifeSpring Fredrickson launching in September. I know they're already started. And, and just think of this, 20 years, 20 years from the day or the month that our church began here, we'll be planting two churches. I mean, that's amazing. That's amazing. One of them, gosh, oh, now I'm going to blow this. I don't remember if it was Ray or if it was Pete. One of them visited a couple months back, and they brought us one of the gray folding chairs that Pastor Steve Shell and Northwest Church gave Pastor Chad Skilperort all those years ago and said, when you start your church, you, here's 30 folding gray chairs that you can have. Now, here's two, two really or coincidences that I think are cool. One is we were given... 30 gray folding chairs that are the exact chair. So it matches the chairs we have. We were also given some really nice auditorium chairs. But this was the really cool thing. On the back of that chair, it says Northwest, and it's scratched out. And then it says LifeSpring underneath it. And then in Billings, just a few weeks back, I was able to pull Steve Shell aside and say, guess what? We scratched out LifeSpring and rewrote Journey Foursquare. And you got a granddaughter church, Pastor Steve, and we're still doing what we do. It was so cool. So we do want to give you this quick update. You know, it's crazy to think it was two years ago that Cindy and I sat here in July, uh, the summer that Pastor Dan was on sabbatical, and we felt like the Lord was calling us back into full-time ministry. Two years ago, this adventure started for us. And it was a year and a half ago that we moved to Nine Mile Falls when we felt like the Lord was calling us there. And it was a year ago this past March that we opened our house for our very first home group night. Six people were going to come that night. Six people. We got a call from two of them that were stuck out of town and couldn't make it. That left four. Then we got a call from those four people saying they heard about the sickness that was kind of going around and they were worried so they were going to stay home. So we had zero people show up at our very first home group night. And then the very next day we turned on the news and you all know what happened starting that day. It's kind of a bummer when you're trying to plant a church and get to know people in a community, and the government says, don't leave your house. It kind of put a little hitch in our giddy-up. But you know something? The Lord has used this season to do things that we would have never dared dream, and to think of things that we never thought were possible, and to help us refocus on some things. Okay? It's been incredible since that day. We have had to think about 
what church really is. The Lord asked me specifically, Wayne, did you come here to preach on a Sunday morning? No. Did you come here to, to build a building, to, to have business cards that said Journey Foursquare Church? No. What did you come here for? Well, I felt called to the people. And he said, well, they're still here. So we set about for a year and a half trying to figure out how to just meet people. And that's what we're going to talk a little bit about. But fast forward to today, we've got some pictures and videos. Dave's going to put up just a little bit of our journey. Cindy is thriving in her role. As you look at these pictures, I'm just going to give you a little background. Cindy's thriving in her role with the school district. She's absolutely killing it. You guys would be so proud of her. She's been getting more and more responsibility. She's seen as a leader in the district. She's seen as a liaison. The school superintendent is asked her to be a liaison between the school district and the faith community and the churches. We're involved in all the local parks and the rec board. We're chaplains. We're building a chaplaincy program for entire Stevens County. Uh, Hope and Duncan Mayer have joined us, and they're fully engaged in the foster care ministry with their own family of six kids. Oh, my Lord. And that whole network and world that is foster care and the support system. We spent three and a half months last summer being interim pastors of a church that's two hours south of us. That was an adventure. We're part of the Pacific Northwest church planting movement. We meet every other week with the other senior pastor and his wife that are in town. We have this incredible friendship with them. We're going close with Pastor Jacob Powers that so many of you have known for. We've supported them financially. And the Heights Church, we, we support them. We're, I'm a part of their staff and weekly supporting them. I'm also um, I'm contracted. One of my jobs is to be the grant administrator with Whitworth University as a liaison between they and the Pacific Northwest Church Planning Movement. I'm on staff with Pastor Mike Mead as the administration pastor at North Church, where Pastor Dan Bursch was for seven years. We've officially incorporated Journey Foursquare Church with our Washington State UBI and our federal EIN numbers and all the business that goes behind it. Last week, we opened our church bank account. We've had our first council meeting. I mean, come on. Cindy Weekly hosts like 20 people at our house. Oh, my gosh, you know the work that goes into that. She's incredible. We've got 20 precious people that have joined in our meeting in our house that want to be a part of a launch team. And it's amazing to me the stories of how these people have been brought into our lives and we've connected with them. It's just God is dripping all over it. And what I really want you to know is this. If all goes as planned, late September we'll have the launch of our public service. And everything, everything that we do has life spring DNA all over it. All over it. I'm telling your story east, west, north. And south, and when people tell it, ask us what is it going to look like, I describe this, and I describe this, and I talk about you guys praying for each other after services and loving each other and worshiping together and caring for one another so very well. At every step of the way, we've had to ask ourselves, what are we doing? What is this church, and why is this church, and what is this church going to look like? And actually, that's why I love this series that you've been in these these last couple months. Examining what the church looks like when we gather. That This Is Church series. Man, that was so good, Pastor Dan. David Fitch is an author and a theologian at Northern Seminary in Chicago, and he has this definition. I love this definition. It resonates with me. Church is a body rather than an experience. It's not something that we go to or have done to us. It is something that we are, and it's something we work out in ourselves. It's a community of practices tending to the presence of Christ in this world. I love that. A community of practices 
tending to the presence of Christ in this world. If you're taking notes today, those are really the three P's that are sort of what I come to believe are my definition of the church. Practices, presence, and places. Practices. We're not just a community or body of believers. I mean, we could be that at the Eagles Club. We could be that anywhere. But that we're a community that actually have uh, producing the fruits of the Spirit in our life, and we rally around practices that draw us closer to Christ. And we tend to the presence of God, and we do that in certain places. If you are able this morning, would you stand with me and honor the reading of the Word? I'm going to come out of Acts chapter 2 this morning, starting in verse 41. So those who welcomed his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 persons were added. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Awe came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common, and they should sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as they had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God having the goodwill of the people, and day by day the Lord added to their numbers those who were being saved. Let's pray. Lord, I am just so grateful today for the church. Lord, we are messy and we are broken, and the thought of exporting outside what seems so frail sometimes on the inside amazes me. But God, you are good, and you love your church, and you have called us to mission. God, help us to love it well, too. Amen. So again, practices, presence, and places. And we see those things right here in these verses. So, so those who welcomed his message were baptized. And that day they were saved. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, the breaking of bread, communion, practices, presence. Do you see it here? Awe came upon them. Many wonders and signs, presence. All who believed together had these things in common. By the way, that doesn't mean that they shared character traits. It means they pooled their resources. They put these things in common. They said everything that is mine is yours and what is yours is mine because we live in community. Do you see practices and presence in here? Baptism, teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, signs and wonders, gifts of the Spirit, living in community. And again, Pastor Dan and the team did such a great job of covering these things in our This Is Church series over the last several weeks. The temple they talked about. They talked about your role in community. They talked about spirit-filled life and tongues and prophecy and faith. And Pastor Mary Burst came up here and she talked about love. And I know she did because I walked away singing from my computer. I walked away singing, love, exciting and new. Come aboard. Oh, I saw the spirit all over her. When she got into Huey Lewis, that's the power of love. I felt it. And we continue to see these definitions play out in these verses. And especially right here when I want to talk about places, that third P, places. We see three distinct places where they tended to the presence of of God. Day by day, they spent much time together. Where? In the temple. That's our church service. That's, they tended to the presence of God in the temple. And they did what? They broke bread at, at home. They tended to the presence of God in their homes and in their neighborhood, in their nearer community. And then what does it say? 
it says that they had the glad and generous hearts and that they had the goodwill of the people because they tended to the presence of God in the world, in the larger community. The temple, the homes, and in the larger community, we see three distinct places where they tended to the presence of God. We talked so well this summer about tending to the presence of God in the church. And Braden last week kicked us off so well talking about tending to the presence of God in our community when he talked about what it means to live this out and work was so good. Next week, I have an announcement for you. Ryan and Tamara McIntyre will be up here talking about tending to the presence of God in global mission. Oh my gosh, if you don't love on the McIntyres next week, you just got nothing in you. These guys are awesome. I'm so excited. We're going to be having them in Spokane the week after that. I'm jazzed. So today what I want to do is I want to give you one thing. How's that for a preacher? Just one thing. Nine Mile Falls will just drag it out of you. I, used, I was a ten-thing guy when I moved there. I come back a one-thing guy. <laughs> just going to give you one tip, one key, one thing. How do you tend to the presence of God in your near community, your neighborhood, with your neighbors, those closest to you, those you're in contact with every day? It's simply this, literally one thing. Story. It's story. First of all, it's God's story. It's keeping in mind that the gospel is not just that Jesus came and died for our sins. That's certainly the crux of it. But it's the entire ever unfolding story of God's redemptive love for his people. It's God's story and it's seeing those around us in his greater story. It's your story. We have amazing stories. This room is filled with amazing stories. I know some of your stories. I watched you walk through some of your stories. You watched me walk through some of my stories. You're sitting out there going, what's he even doing up there? I remember when he was this and that and the other. You have watched God do things in my life. We have stories, stories of his redemption, of his healing, of his provision, of his power in our lives. Our stories need to be told. And it's your neighbor's story. That they are, each of them, sons and daughters of a king. Whether they recognize it or even acknowledge it or not, God is at work in their lives. He is drawing them closer to himself and he wants to use you in that process. He wants you to love them like he loves them. And that means acknowledging that he has a story unfolding within them and being willing to value them enough to let your story intertwine with their story as the pages unfold of God's story. Using your story to impact your neighbor's story and loving people back to their greater story in Jesus. Because it is all about the greater story in Jesus. Come on. If Pastor Dan has taught me anything, he's taught me this one thing. When I could tell you this about Journey Foursquare Church, all our eggs are in the same basket. As your eggs. And it's one basket. And it's Jesus. So what are things that will hinder that greater story? Well, one is this. Simply forgetting that it's ultimately always about the breadth and depth of God's story. You see, you can't get to chapter 20 in a love book and forget what the whole entire love story is about and just start writing your own thing. We always have to remember the breadth and depth of God's 
greater story. The writer of Hebrews reminds us in Hebrews 12, too. He says, look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus is the author of this story and the finisher of this story. He determines when it starts and where it stops. And it's always about his greater story. We cannot forget that. The second thing that will hinder the greater story, forgetting your chapter in the story. See, you can't share your story if you choose to forget it. Sharing your story requires that you remember it. And that sounds so simple, but listen to me. When I am so easily swayed by today's circumstances... I will literally walk from a meeting where I am telling somebody about the time that the Lord gave us $10,000 and filled our house with groceries and miraculously fixed my car, and I go into the next meeting where I complain about a $5 bill that I can't pay because I somehow forget my story. And I'm, I'm so forgetful. I am so forgetful. Our landlord called us up like three weeks ago. We were, we were at a point where we were discussing possibly buying the home that we're renting, maybe doing a long-term lease to option to buy. And it sounded like we were walking down that road. And instead, we got a phone call. And they said, actually, it looks like we'll be coming home from Japan. We'll need to move back home. You have to be out next July. I was like in a fetal position for like three days. I got so anxious about this, the thought of moving, the thought of packing again, the thought of finding a house. There are no houses to rent in our area, much less anything we could afford. Now, here's the thing. I have for a year and a half been telling the miraculous story of how God provided this home that we're in. It's this big, huge, beautiful home that we're renting for half the price it was advertised for, that we got within a 24-hour notice that was open for us the week that we had to move there, that we rented sight unseen, and it's been this beautiful place to launch a home group and a church from. Twenty people gather in this beautiful backyard. Our mother-in-law has space to live there with us. It's incredible. And for a year and a half, I've been telling about God's miraculous provision in the moment of need, how we got this house. I get a phone call, and I'm curled up like a baby in the bed. What are we going to do? I so easily forget my story. We have to remember our story. Deuteronomy 6 tells us, Then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. Further down in chapter 8, And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that it might humble you. Psalm 77, David reminds us that I will remember the deeds of the Lord and I will remember your wonders of old. There is a reason why God said, set aside a stone of remembrance on your journey. Remember your story. Remembering our story does not only remind us in faith of what God can do, it reminds us humbly that who we once were. And we see others differently. We see them as a story unfolding around us rather than a Defining them in the moment they're in. If you define me in the moment I was in a year ago, or even six months ago, or even last week curled up in the fetal position when I got the phone call, that's not the whole story that God is unfolding in my life. The third thing that will hinder our greater story, seeing your neighbor as a plot or a goal or a target in your story 
rather than a main character in God's story. You see, your neighbor is not a check mark on your to-do list. It's not a tick mark in your wind column. That kind of thinking puts power and pressure on us to do a work that we weren't made to carry. And it leads to inauthentic connection with somebody we see as a target rather than a connection, a real authentic connection. I don't want transaction with my neighbors. I want connection with my neighbors. When I see them as a metric, it becomes a transaction. When I see them as a plot line in my story, it becomes a transaction to get to my next chapter. When I see them as true, authentic connections as part of God's greater story, it becomes relationship. Love is not a strategy. I'm reminded of Luke's telling of a story when Jesus was in the synagogue. I'm not going to read the whole scripture due to time this morning, but I'll just remind you, when he was teaching in the synagogue and the expert of the law came up to him and he said, the law says that we're supposed to love our neighbor. And Jesus says, yeah. And he says, well, who is our neighbor? So he's trying to catch Jesus in a loophole. He's an expert in the law. He knows how where the loopholes are. He knows how to check all the boxes and at the end of the day say, I followed everything to the letter of the law. And Jesus, of course, tells him the story of the Good Samaritan. And at the end, he says, who do you think was the neighbor? And he responds, and Jesus said, yeah, go and do likewise. What Jesus was saying is, your neighbor is not your strategy. There's no loophole here. There's no loophole here. Love. 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 Psalm 77 reminds us, I'll remember the deeds of the Lord. And I want to remember those things so that I can remember that my neighbor is not a target, so that I can live it out the way I should live it out and love well, not looking for loopholes in the things that God has called me to. The fourth thing that will hinder the greater story is judging your neighbor's story by their first paragraph. Judging the book by its cover. Somewhere we've lost this ability to see past people's brokenness. We are so quick to forget that we were and are still a broken people and even far too quicker to see the brokenness in our neighbors. I love this juxtaposition that we find in Matthew 16 when we're in the Gospel of Matthew and Jesus is talking to Peter because in one verse he's saying this. Peter's asking, all the disciples are asking, you know, hey, the people are saying this about you. And Jesus says, well, what do you say? Who do you say that I am? And Peter answers, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you. In fact, he goes on to say that, I tell you this, Peter, on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Do you think that Jesus calls Peter the rock and really the foundation of the church because he believes Peter is perfect? (laughs) If you've ever read your Bible, you know something about Peter. Quick-tempered, hot-headed. No, in fact, just a couple verses later, literally in the very same chapter, when Peter isn't accepting the picture that Jesus is painting of his future, Peter comes out and he responds, and Jesus has to say this, Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You were a foundation in a rock two minutes ago. Now you're a stumbling block. The gates of hell won't come against you, but you're Satan. Which picture, Peter, are we to believe? Picture A or picture B, the answer is yes, yes, and yes. 
You see, it's not that Jesus is blind to Peter's shortcoming. It's that Jesus is not afraid to speak the truth to Peter. And it's that first he chooses to remind Peter of who he sees him as through the Father. He reminds Peter of who he's becoming. Oh, we get really good sometimes at reminding people how they fall short. And I don't know about you, but when I look at the people I care about and I look at my neighbors, I do get frustrated with how they fall short. I get frustrated because sometimes how they fall short impacts me. It impacts my life. It's messy. It's ugly. I want to remind them that there's a better way, but sometimes in my reminding them, what I'm doing is I'm really telling them about the picture I have for their life. We see the things they're wrestling with, and we let the things that they're wrestling with define who they are in our eyes. What would happen if instead of responding in judgment, we responded with curiosity? When was the last time you were curious about the people that walked by you every day? Oh, I know when the meth addict gal is riding her bike past my house and she's all shaky and she's 60 and I'm wondering why she's riding a bicycle at 60. I know where my mind goes. And it doesn't often go first to, I wonder. I wonder what's her story. She wasn't born a meth addict on that bike. Curiosity leads to love. Curiosity leads me to ask. Curiosity leads to relationship. Judgment leads to a wall. And then even when I do reach out, the people can feel that wall. They sense that wall. They know the wall is there. What if instead of responding, you know, oh, be more like so-and-so and less like that person. You should come to this. You should become this. You should choose that college. You should tell them what God wants them to do in your life. Tell them that they should be actually... Not waking up and doing drugs in the morning, but they should be doing 17.3 minutes of quiet time every morning. It should include one New Testament scripture, one Old Testament scripture, probably a psalm and preferably a proverb. Tell them they should be thinking about mission trips far and wide, not dreaming about the next place they're going to get their habit filled. Hey, all those things are true. But when we approach people telling them what their stories should look like before we've been curious as to why their stories are looking like they look, changes the atmosphere. And then, when their stories change, see, if we've just told them what it should look like and their stories change, that's not them walking into faith. That's them complying with somebody they want to impress. They want to be liked by you. So they will comply. And the problem is, when they're complying to what their story should look like in your eyes, that's fine until there's somebody else they want to impress. But when we lead them to Jesus and His standard becomes what they want to impress, And His glory becomes their focus. That happens because we're curious about somebody that God sees as a son or a daughter in His story. Compliance turns us into posers, and that leads to masks and eventually to inauthenticity. Judgment tells people who we think they should be. Curiosity reminds people who they're becoming. There's a show I've been watching lately, and I'm don't stand up here to recommend it to you, but there's this, this great scene. The guy's name is Ted Lasso, and, and, and Ted is judged. He's an American who's been brought abroad to coach in an English sport in the middle of England, and he's judged all the time. He's judged because he's a simple man, simple man of faith. He likes to be happy. He's judged because he's not complex. They don't think he's a good enough coach. All these things you can imagine could possibly judge him. And it sounds like, if you watch the show, he's been judged most of his life 
because he's just a simple, happy man. And in the scene we're about to watch, what's going on is one of the um, mean guys in the story, if you will, a rich sports owner, is challenging him, making fun of him, judging him, calling him out, always making fun of him in public, always doing everything he can to make him feel silly. So he challenges him to a game of darts. And well, I'll let you see how that plays out. Y'all take your darts over here pretty seriously, huh? Uh, this and, uh, what's the billiard game y'all do that sounds like a brand of cookies? Snooker? That's it. That's the one. Yeah, boy, I'd love to curl up on a couch under a weighted blanket, watch You've Got Mail, and devour a box of Snookers. <laughs> see what we got here. Hey, there it is. Do you like darts, Ted? Oh, okay, I'm more of a, you know, a cornhole man myself. Yeah. Nope. Say, 10,000 pounds? Well, as my doctor told me when I got addicted to fettuccine Alfredo, that's a little rich for my blood. <laughs> what do you think? You're on. Okay. Uh, double in, double out. Whatever you say, Rupert Dukes. Yeah. Just let me know if I'm winning or losing, all right? <laughs> oh, I forgot I had these on me. Oh, oh wait a second. I forgot I'm left-handed. I was going to be a hoot. Better manners when I'm holding a dart. Please. Hmm. Mate, what do I need to win? Two triple twenties and a bullseye. <laughs> Good luck. Hmm. You know, Rupert, guys have underestimated me my entire life. And for years, I never understood why. It used to really bother me. But then one day, I was driving my little boy to school and I saw this quote by Walt Whitman it was painted on the wall there it said be curious not judgmental I like that so I get back in my car and I'm driving to work and all of a sudden it hits me all them fellas that used to belittle me not a single one of them were curious you know they thought they had everything all figured out and so they judged everything and they judged everyone and I realized that they're underestimating me. Who I was had nothing to do with it. Because <laughs> if they were curious, they would ask questions. You know? Questions like, have you played a lot of darts, Ted? <laughs> Which I would have answered, yes, sir. Every Sunday afternoon at a sports bar with my father, from age 10 to I was 16, when he passed away. someone else's story, to be curious, to love rather than judge our neighbors, to simply ask. It's, I told you one key, one tip, story. Simply ask. The 291 pub is not far from our house. And the waitress is serving us and she's tired and can see she's had a long night, but customers are starting to clear out. And so she serves us one of our last drinks. And I said, 
it's Corinne, right? She says, yeah. And I said, Corinne, tell me your story. I mean, I know you're busy, but do you have a minute? And she sits down, and she tells us she's pregnant. And her and her boyfriend are getting married, and he actually manages the place. <clears throat> and before you know it, we're, we're buying them baby gifts. And Christian and Corinne have asked me to be part of their wedding this summer. And when we had to have our information night six months later and invite people to a place that might be um, less intimidating than a church to hear about with this new church, the 291 Brew House says, hey, we'll close down an hour early. You guys can have the place. In fact, we'll feed you food. And we'll put it on our Facebook page that you're going to have an information night about some new church. And we had 60 people come hear about the church. Because Christian and Corinne have a story. Christian and Corinne have a story. We're doing chaplaincy at the fire department one night. There's been a horrific jet ski accident. Two little ones were in an accident. One was killed. One was near death in a jet ski accident with their mom's boyfriend. Two jet skis collided. The chief says, I need to gather my fire department team. They're hurting. They don't know how to respond to this. And the truth is, most of the ladies, most of the people on the call that night were ladies. Can you be here? And I'm out of town. So I call up Cindy and I say, hey, I need you to go be a chaplain tonight. Cindy's like, I haven't done the critical stress debrief training. Just go love them. Just go love them. So she puts some lollipops in her pocket. (laughs) And she goes up to the fire department and they're having their debrief. And one of the ladies gets up and excuses herself. And you know, we could just think, ah, she's just not into talking. She's just not comfortable. But Cindy isn't built that way. Cindy's wired to be curious about people. So she walks outside and she says, hi, I'm Cindy. What's your story? What's your story? Found out she had just returned, literally within days, from a miscarriage. And she says, I know this shouldn't impact me, the loss of this baby girl, because I'm not a mom. Uh, you know, I was never a mom yet. And Cindy gets to speak in her life and say, oh, you were a mom. You were a mom for seven months before you miscarried. And you, and you still have that, that inside you. And she speaks love and life and courage into that young lady. What's your story? It's, it's, a, it's an easy question. And it's about tending to the presence of God. In that moment, if we're going to go outside, what we need to say is, okay, I have communion here with God. How can I take breaking bread outside? So when we gathered 20 people at the first meeting in our house, I sat down, I fed food. Now, they thought we were just having a potluck, but for me, I knew it was communion because I was inviting the presence of God into that moment. And I started our first three meetings at our house by saying, tell us your story. And when I go into the 291 pub house now or the fire station or on any scene, I'm bringing the presence of God and I'm saying, Lord, I want to go tonight and I want to listen to some live music and I could enjoy, you know, a, a nice evening tonight of relaxing and entertainment. But don't let me forget that God, would you come with me? And would you help me be mindful that I'm surrounded by stories? And I have never, I want to tell you something, since that first night, I have never walked away from the 291 pub house without asking somebody What's their story? So here's my encouragement, folks, as the worship team comes back up. How do we tend to the presence of God with our neighbors? 
How do we take what we do in here, knowing that this is what it means to be the church, and to go outside? We do it by this. One, we stay lovingly curious. We simply ask people, I mean, how easy is that question? Oh, tell me your story. I'd love to hear your story. Two, we stay lovingly courageous. We're willing to share our story. And by the way, that's the broken part of our story and the redemptive part of our story and all of our story so that people can relate to our story. So we're lovingly curious. We're lovingly courageous. And the last one is we're lovingly encouraging. We don't tell people who they should be in our eyes, but we remind them who they're becoming in God's eyes. Lord, I'm so thankful today for a church that knows my story and loves me through it. I'm thankful for a pastor and a best friend that when I looked at him across the office and said, this is why I can't be a pastor, he just smiled back and said, you're a mighty man of God and you are a pastor. thankful for stories that I think about in my discouraging moments of people that are sitting in these seats in front of me today. Think about the mayors and the Rosses and the Kuykendalls and so many I could go on and on and on. Lord, will we tend to your presence with those around us? Be curious encourage people, love people to their greater story in you.